What's up, everybody? This is Grant at Cause Artist. Welcome to another episode of the Disruptors for Good podcast. Today, we are going to chat with uh, Kerry Rich, co-founder and CEO of the Global Good Fund. And it's a pretty incredible story of how the Global Good Fund started. Um, as Kerry tells the, the long form of the story, I'll, I'll tell the, the, quick, the quick part of it, is that it really started with one email that she sent out uh, to a lot of her her friends, colleagues, and, and, and family, and got an incredible response back. And the fund raised $2 million uh, through that one email. So it was obviously an insane time and just an unexpected jolt of uh, motivation into what her dream was. Her dream was to, to start a fund that sort of allocated coaching and capital to uh, social entrepreneurs around the world, specifically in the healthcare space, and, but also specifically in uh, the develop, developing countries where technology and entrepreneurship has not yet sort of been a bedrock of, of the community yet. Um, so at this point now, they are putting capital into not only healthcare, but um, across all business sectors. She comes from a healthcare background, which her, her profession is from being in the healthcare sector. So uh, she's very familiar with that. But then she's also obviously expanded into a bunch of other knowledge bases as she's uh, onboarded, advised hundreds of social entrepreneurs over the past uh, nearly decade now of, of the Global Good Fund and, and its sort of advancement in the social impact sector. And as I told her in, in the interview, it's, it's, a, it's great to see investors getting into the realm of, of social impact investing because that's obviously where we grow um, when capital is injected into ideas that have a tremendous impact potential behind them that's how we solve a lot of our problems so really great conversation uh, I hope you guys enjoy it uh, before we get into before we get into the uh, interview just like to touch on uh, the new podcast by uh, by Zach who just sort of joined calls artists um, in his show called The Impact Studio. He's got some tremendous, tremendous guests coming on. So if you get a chance, subscribe to that. I might pop one of his episodes in this stream uh, this week so you can get a little taste of, of what it sounds like. And also uh, Jasmine, um, who's been doing uh, Impact India for, for the last couple of years. She's started on season three of that. It'll be, uh, it'll be some, some pretty cool things coming out uh, through the audio sector. We're planning to do some Instagram live interviews as well. So if you, if you want to be a part in that, just reach out to me either on Instagram, the Cause Artist Instagram, or just grant at causeartist.com. Uh, so that should be pretty cool and fun. Uh, also want to touch on Impact Recipe again. Um, it's just my sort of dev company inside of Cause Artist where we provide, where I provide, <laughs> working with me, uh, high-end sort of web development and design for uh, social enterprises, um, nonprofits, impact investors, um, and other social ventures. Really want to give an affordable opportunity to to uh, social impact individuals, you know, across the world. So you'll, uh, yeah, check out impactrecipe.com to learn a, bit, a little bit more about that. But it's no upfront cost at all for the design and development. Um, you just pay a monthly fee. Uh, to be a member and to get sort of unlimited updates and uh, maintenance and optimization of the site, things like that. So a lot of the skills that I've learned over the last decade, uh, I put into into your web presence, which is the most important thing we have. <laughs> uh, so 
Uh, if you want to learn more about that, just impactrecipe.com uh, or hit me up, just grant at causeartist.com. Uh, but again, hope everybody is doing well and staying safe and uh, enjoy the week. Thanks. Bye. So how I like to, to start these usually is just about uh, the person's journey on starting their their company or their business or their nonprofit or their venture, really just kind of starting their, what I look at it as, as somebody's like, like life's work, right? And I think that what you're doing at the Global Good Fund, I think it's it's sort of this amalgamation of everything you've sort of done in your, your life and your career has kind of led to this. So let's kind of go back in time a little bit and talk about that journey uh, to become sort of co-founder and CEO. Yes, I wake up every day feeling like the Global Good Fund is my life's work. And I've always had an interest in helping people. I imagine a lot of people feel that way. And for me, that started in healthcare. So I had gone to uh, graduate school for health administration and got a dream job working at a healthcare organization in Virginia. And it was a large, it's a multi-billion dollar organization that did everything healthcare related you can think of from hospitals to seeing cancer patients to long-term care for the elderly, everything you can think of. And I just loved it. I got to see people at their highest highs and lowest lows and everything in between and really be there for people. And for me, it was a dream also because I got to work for the CEO of the whole organization. And I went to him one day and I said, this is amazing that I get to work for you. I am so privileged. I mean, how many people out there work really hard you know, have hearts of gold, but don't get the same platform I get because they don't get to work for the CEO. And, you know, he had invested in me. He'd sponsored me and pulled me up and he was grooming me for a leadership role. And I was fortunate because I got to work for him. And I thought, you know, what if we could find other young people like me who have strong work ethics, strong moral compass, but don't have a ton of experience and pair them with people like you who have a ton of experience and help us avoid some mistakes and replicate successes and create our own path forward. And we could combine those two communities as a catalyst for social good. What if we could do that? And my boss at the time looked at me and said, you know, it's really nice idea. Could you please go back to doing your job? <laughs> so I hung my head, went back to my office and for my, I was 25 years old. And for my 26th birthday, he gave me a card a couple months later and inside the card was a hundred dollars. And he said, this is the money I would have spent taking you and your colleagues to pizza lunch for your birthday. Now nice. you can go live out this, this idea. And that was a seed funding. That's right. And on the <laughs> left side of the card was a quotation by a person named Jonathan Wesley that said something to the effect of all the good you can in all the ways you can by all the people you can so long as you ever can. And that what I took away from the quote was, you know, do good. And so I wrote an email to my friends and family and I'm thinking, you know, what can you do with a hundred dollars? It doesn't get you particularly far these days. And so I wrote this email and I said, my boss gave me some lunch money. I'd like to give the money to a few groups that I volunteered with in the past. So if you could each donate a little bit, maybe it would add up to a lot. And my goal was to raise $6,000 for six organizations, give $1,000 each and call it a day. And I wrote to my friends and family and realized, you know, 25, 26 years old, none of my friends had money. And how was I going to get to $6,000? So Mm -hmm. I went through my email account and typed the letter A. And whoever's email address auto-populated, I hit enter, added them to the distribution, A, B, C, yep. so every single name I'd ever communicated with. 
in the blind copy section. And then of course you need a subject heading for an email. So I chose Global Good Fund inspired by the quotation in the birthday card. And fast forward two weeks later, we had raised $2 million. Uh, my boss got heavily involved himself philanthropically and a community of young people each contributed a little bit and mm -hmm. it added up to a whole lot. And that's how the Global wow. Good Fund was born. And that was seven, eight years ago now. And um, we're now working in more than 30 countries serving social entrepreneurs and their leadership development all over the world. So when that happened, did you quit your job? Like, what was it? Because <laughs> your boss was like, go, you know, I'm sure he was kind of, you know, joking in a way, right? But also like, you know, kind of follow it, but it'll be a while before, you know, probably years before you could really succeed and kind of do this. So was it like, right when you raised that, did you say, I got to go do this? I'm sorry. I did not quit my job right away. <laughs> I, I honestly, I just spent all this money and time studying to get right where I was. And I loved my job in healthcare. I mean, I thought I was contributing to making the world a better place. And I was in some small way. I was. And I still feel that way. Uh, but what I realized at the time was that the real way to create a healthier world is to make sure that people get educated and have income and create mm -hmm. their own opportunities, you know, um, create a more environmentally friendly, sustainable world and uh, create a more equitable society. And so I didn't know exactly how to do that you know, other than what I had been trained in, which was healthcare. And so what I did was, first of all, I had no idea what to do with $2 million. Right. <laughs> I had dreamed of the day when someone would give me a million dollars, but I never, it never dawned on me that someone would give $2 million to an organization that didn't exist. I mean, this was mm -hmm. a subject heading on an email. There was no organization. I, I hadn't set out with the intention of creating an organization. I had set out with the mission of helping other people like me who cared about creating a better world and finding resources in both financial resources and human resources to help them. And so we started by doing that. We started by finding these amazing young people truly all over the world. We use social media. For the first year, uh, I didn't join Global Good Fund as an employee and we created an advisory board. And these were really amazing people who were friends of my boss at the time and the co-founder of the Global Good Fund, Knox Singleton. And he he would, you know, invite his peers to participate. And these were people, again, running multi-billion dollar companies who their time is not for sale. And so they would give their time to mentor young people. And that was the most precious gift their gift of time was the most precious gift we could possibly have. And so <laughs> my time was just nights and weekends and we kept the money and we opened a bank account and mm -hmm. start, that's where we started. And eventually we created, you know, we had a board and filed for a nonprofit status. And eventually the board said, you know, are you going to do this full time? or Are we going to find someone else? Right. To lead? And so that's when I thought, you know, healthcare will always be there. This opportunity may not be, it's time to take a leap of faith and go for it. How long was that after raised the two million was it a couple of years later no it was it was within the first year about about a year in and i had been volunteering you know i would find volunteers who were really dedicated and you know what i learned was I, for example i found a volunteer someone i'd been volunteering with we met on the back of a pickup truck in haiti doing community service and this person was really high a leader in the military and had run a large company. And what would take me three weeks to figure out, he could figure out in three days or three hours. And so we had these amazing volunteers for the first six months to a year before I needed to commit full time. And I actually, you know, I had a hard time 
taking a salary because the for me it was that right. was money that could be spent on on other people um and i i was privileged to have this platform and a great job and other people didn't have the same opportunity so it took a while for for me to take that that leap of faith but um once i did you know i wake up every morning really excited to make the world a better place through the <laughs> So was it initially focusing on healthcare startups and healthcare like entrepreneurs trying to solve certain issues in that sector, or did it was it did it not matter? It was just whoever's has awesome ideas and it's an amazing person. <laughs> the latter, yeah. We, from yeah. the beginning, we th- we decided to be industry agnostic and geographically agnostic. We believe that the, our our theory here is that if you invest in a high potential young leader that leader will in turn grow in a business that will positively impact the world. Mm-hmm. And it takes all kinds of positive impact to make a, the world a better place. It can't just be about healthcare. We have to create job opportunities for people in underrepresented communities. We need to have equal access to health and education. We need to have clear air to breathe. We need to have equitable access to f- nutritious food. I mean, it wasn't just one thing to make the world a better place. We needed it all. And I knew I couldn't do that but we could find a lot of young people who together could make a difference. And so from the beginning, we didn't narrow ourselves. Our our common theme was finding individuals who we could support through their leadership development who are committed to social entrepreneurship. That was mm-hmm. the horizontal that could do it all. Right. What, so let's talk a little bit about like sort of when a person, whether it, it, it applies or, or you seek out, what is sort of the process like? You know, do you just, is it, capital? Is it advisory? Is it resources? What, what does the person or, you know, company actually get? And then is it sort of like a six month program? Is it you're a lifer? You know, if you, <laughs> are you involved? Like, yeah. how, how does the whole process sort of work going from choosing an applicant to actually, you know, dedicating time and resources to them? Sure. So the way we find these entrepreneurs is largely through social media. So as long as you have access to the internet and can uh, speak English, which is a, you know, it's a barrier for a lot of people all over the world sure. having access to the internet and be, um, don't need to be a native English speaker, but can speak English, then the access is open. And so we post an open application process online. It's free to apply in the springtime. And so we'll actually be posting to the Global Good Fund very soon. And everyone anywhere in the world can apply if if they're interested. And what we're looking for are people under 40, so they have a long time horizon to positively impact the world, who have already committed, they've already taken a dive out of the airplane and established a social enterprise. It exists already. And they mm-hmm. have they're either they've piloted and they're ready to go to market because the pilot worked, or they've been working for a couple of years at what they're doing and they're ready to scale. They're ready to go more broader or more deeply into the communities they serve. And we're looking for enterprises that are interested in a financially viable business model. So whether they're a nonprofit or for-profit, they have to create a margin so that they can continue to have a mission. And what they do in terms of social impact needs to be so fundamental to their business that if you removed it from the business, the business would cease to exist. So that's what we're looking for. And these entrepreneurs are incredibly humble because this is a leadership development program at the end of the day. We're looking for people who want to receive feedback, who want to take that feedback and implement it and improve their own leadership to make the world a better place. So they're by nature very humble, resilient, coachable people. So would you say the majority are international? 
uh, that are funded or is it a mix of domestic and, and sort it's of a mix. Okay. It's a mix. And the reason for that is, you know, it's really easy to look across the world and say, you know, point out other people's problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the reality is we have a lot of our own issues around mm-hmm. the corner, not just sure. across the globe. And so we make it a priority to fund domestically and internationally as well. Well, you talked a little bit about your background in healthcare, right? And obviously we're in the midst of a, a bit of a, a turbulent time in everybody's life and in humanity's sort of historical landmark here. What I guess what what do you see from the previous the previous company that you were at? Like what are some of the lessons learned there? Was this ever something that was foreseen there? Like what what is sort of your you know, the healthcare uh, community right now look like when you talk to your friends and sort of family that are still in it? Sure. Well, uh, clearly the coronavirus has exposed and exacerbated some of the world's most intractable problems. And that Mm -hmm. includes healthcare access. It also includes topics like food insecurity and housing instability, inequities in education, and and including healthcare. I think what we're seeing is that it simultaneously enlivened a spirit of community-mindedness that gives a lot of hope for the future. And so it's, you know, I still keep in touch with my colleagues in healthcare and, and they're really, they have a lot of faith in, in us and other small businesses to uh, address some of these problems, you know, feed families, make masks. Um, a lot of the efforts that our social entrepreneurs are doing are critical to keep people out of hospitals in the first place, to keep people safe and healthy. And so the main, the main message I take away is that, you know, our work was essential before Mm-hmm. coronavirus and it it'll continue to be essential beyond the crisis and that great leaders can have an impact and make an impact a permanent part of their business strategy whether in healthcare or or any business how are some of the entrepreneurs that y'all have invested in how are they doing right now are they just in lockdown all across the world are there still people that are functioning or is there any danger of some of these businesses that have been funded, are they going to go out of business? Like how, what is sort of the, the global good fund community dealing with right now as far as, you know, members? Yeah, so it's a tough time. Uh, our entrepreneurs, we asked that, we asked our entrepreneurs at the outset, how can we help you right now? Mm-hmm. And Global Good Fund's model is a 12-month virtual fellowship program. So we provide executive mentoring, executive coaching, financial support, all targeted at leadership development. And what our entrepreneurs told us they need right now is cash and crisis management training. And so that's what a Global Good Fund immediately did. We provided access to financial resources in the form of $270,000 that was unrestricted so that these businesses can stay in business. Sure. And then we're raising what we're calling a survive and thrive emergency fund to provide additional capital, as well as have launched a series of webinars in partnership with Motley Fool to address yeah. topics like PR management, financial health during crisis, how to stay sane and healthy yourself so you can take care of other people. And what we're seeing is our our entrepreneurs are emerging strongly. They're emerging really strong in the face of this crisis. So for example, um, we have supported two entrepreneurs, um, Samir and Abby from a company called Asusu, mm-hmm. which creates opportunities for people um, who are in poverty to get credit scores by paying their rent. Now, during during a crisis like the one we're in right now, it's really difficult to make that rent payment because people are losing their jobs. And so they've created right. a fund to be able to help people pay rent. Well, we have Veronica Scott of the Empowerment Plan, and she has an amazing company that helps 
mothers mostly who have dependents get out of poverty and homelessness by not only creating a permanent job opportunity, but also um, creating coats that turn into sleeping bags. And right now, they've also started creating masks. So the same people who created jobs for themselves by sewing coats that turn into sleeping bags are now sewing masks for people on the front line. Or Tom McDougall of 4P Foods, who has a community CSA that actually delivers the food to your home. Well, that's exactly what our society needs right now. They don't want, people don't want to go to the grocery store. They want food delivered at home. And so the more people are cooking at home, the more they're realizing they really want nutritious, locally sourced ingredients. And so 4P Foods, they've been able to address that issue through their business model, as well as creating an opportunity called Taco Tuesdays, where they're feeding thousands of people uh, multiple times a week to provide healthy food and nutritious food to people who otherwise wouldn't get it through their social enterprises. So these are all examples of how our social entrepreneurs are able to serve the community through their businesses and pivot to create additional community social impact through the entrepreneurs and the businesses that they serve. Was the was the initial when you sort of had that first advisory meeting, right? After not the first one, but maybe, you know, in the early stages of the fund, has the sort of mission statement and the idea of what the fund is, has that stayed the same or has that evolved over time? Once more people got involved, um, once maybe you saw some successes and I mean, as technology changes, there's different ways you can communicate and, you know, has everything always been online or has that been a transition? We're, just what's some of the, the transition of the actual sure. organization from beginning to now? Well, our mission has stayed consistent. So we, we continue to identify and invest in high potential leaders across the world to address society's most intractable challenges today being a good example of one of them. But that's been our mission before the virus and will continue to be our mission long after. Our mission stays the same and has always been and will be the same. The way we've delivered on that mission has evolved and hopefully gotten better. You know, we're iterating every day. About three years into Global Good Fund's existence, I realized that people were coming to the office for me. And if I was doing my job, I should be out there talking to people, talking to entrepreneurs, talking to donors, um, talking to partners. I shouldn't be sitting behind a computer. I should be talking to people out in the field. And so we became virtual for the last five years. We've been a virtual organization. And what we do, what we're able to deliver as a virtual organization is we're able to serve people where they are because people on the front lines are the people we're serving, the people who are making a difference in their local communities. We don't want to, we want to enhance that, not take that away. It's been a natural transition for Global Good Fund to stay virtual and deliver virtually in the face of COVID-19. Other other examples of how we've changed is we've been more intentional about leveraging technology in terms of how we measure impact. So we made a heavy investment last year in a company called Vera Solutions, which is also a Global Good Fund fellow, um, hmm. which uses a dashboard on top of Salesforce mm -hmm. um, called AMP Impact. And we're able to see real time how our entrepreneurs are doing and step in and hold them accountable in ways that are useful to them. We've also figured out how to generate income for Global Good Fund. So we we're still a philanthropic nonprofit organization, um, and we also realize that other organizations um, can benefit from Global Good Fund services. So we've begun white labeling leadership development products mm -hmm. and services through Global Good Fund, and we've started partnering with corporations that want a beautifully packaged CSR program focused right. on leadership development. So we've been able to serve veteran entrepreneurs. We've been able to serve entrepreneurs over 50 who are creating jobs for other people over 50 across the United States. So those are all new ways that we've been able to deliver on our mission to invest in high potential leaders 
addressing the greatest challenges of our time. Is one of the revenue models, does the fund gain equity in the companies that it's invest in? Does it work that way? No, Global Good Fund is a purely philanthropic 501c3 nonprofit organization. But I am glad you asked that question because <laughs> our board members asked us at the beginning, you know, what will it look like if Global Good Fund succeeds? I should say, what will it look like when Global Good Fund succeeds? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, we will not only deliver outsized social impact, but we'll also support financially viable businesses. They, there doesn't need to be a separation between doing well and doing good. These businesses can be profitable and deliver social impact in a positive way. And so what we started to see was that because Global Good Fund tracks these entrepreneurs quarter over quarter in terms of their leadership development, enterprise growth, and social impact, we know which ones are doing well. And so venture capitalists would come to us and we would have these entrepreneurs on a silver platter that we, right. <laughs> we had right. invested all this philanthropic <laughs> capital in. And so it took six months of due diligence to choose them in the first place. We supported them for a year. We de-risked them. We provided philanthropic capital. We mentored them. And then... VCs would get to invest in them. And so that didn't feel right. So we created a sister company called the Global Impact Fund, which is a for-profit VC fund yes. um, that it takes equity in companies from which come out of the Global Good Fund. And so it's not for all of the entrepreneurs, but every entrepreneur will be considered. And if it's a good fit for the investors, the, the number one goal of the fund, of the Global Impact Fund, is to make money. And we only do that by investing exclusively in companies for the world. So the Global Good Fund as a nonprofit focuses on leadership development. And when we do our jobs right, those entrepreneurs need access to capital. And gotcha. the Global Impact Fund is a small role in that, along with other um, companies that take financial equity in these businesses. And to date, these entrepreneurs have raised over $70 million for their company. Wow. I love that model. It's a that's a a great model. <laughs> I wish uh, I wish more. I think I think that that's a to me, that's sort of the future of organizations, especially organizations that incubate leaders or entrepreneurs. I don't think, I think we need to get out of this system of it's, it's bad to make money doing good. I think that's for so long, it's been this, this something that just is not accepted, so to speak. Right. It's right. such a weird thing where we accept and will buy from companies that really don't do good for workers' rights or the environment or, mm -hmm. you know, humanity in general, yet we give them our money. And, but when companies want to do good and make the same money, it's vilified in a way that's a bit odd and just kind of head scratching a little bit. So I, I think we're coming out of that <laughs> era of like, look, I think you should be rewarded by doing good. Like, you know, if, if it's, if it's money that is the reward, then so be it. Right. But I mean, I think, I think more and more now, I think people are realizing that doing good and making money should be a very powerful thing and accepted and, you know, actually put up on a pedestal and held accountable for sure, obviously, right? I but, agree. But it should be something that our society accepts rather than, you know, doesn't accept. I agree. I mean, we have an amazing opportunity to rebuild our communities and our economies to be stronger and more equitable. And business leaders and entrepreneurs need to be part of that solution. And that really starts with not only making money, having a margin so that you can afford to have a mission. Mm -hmm. And in addition, making an impact beyond the bottom line. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with making money in just ways. You know, that's, that's the ideal. <laughs> and if we can all be part of addressing business problems as part of the business community, 
will will make the world a better place and will make social impact a permanent part of business strategy. I wanted to talk a little bit about your time at, at Georgetown. Are you still teaching or doing courses there or is that that's sort of something you've done in the past? Yeah, I just ended um, teaching. I taught at Georgetown and then uh, most recently I was teaching at George Washington University and I've been spending some time trying to adapt curricula globally as well. So I'm bopping around a little bit um, in different <laughs> teaching settings. Yeah. yeah, I ask because uh, it's always interesting to to hear what the heartbeat of sort of younger people is, right? Like what, what sort of their mentality? How do they look at solving problems? How do they look at business? You know, do they share the same vision? You know, do you see more social entrepreneurs coming out of universities now? Or do you see more and more entrepreneurs? And it, it is, it, it's to me, it's different. Right. There's a difference yeah. between it. It's why they're labeled two separate things. Do you see more social entrepreneurs coming out of universities than maybe in the past? We definitely see more young people caring, more young people who believe that doing good is fundamentally part of their lives, both professionally and personally, and that they put those two things together. And so when we started Global Good Fund, you know, eight years ago, there were there was a lot of focus on nonprofit organizations as social impact organizations. Mm -hmm. And today we've, you know, we've migrated. We see a lot more for-profit organizations and companies that are committed to having a business model that's not only profitable, but positively impacting the world. And I think a large part of that is young people. I think young people are, are also rubbing off on other generations. I mean, the executive leadership of large global corporations and family-owned businesses understand that if they want to identify and retain talent mm -hmm. within their companies. They need to be addressing issues that cater to young employees and young people care about making a difference in the world. So we're seeing a lot of interest in impact investing in social entrepreneurship. You know, entrepreneurship in America is glorified uh, and it's really hard. And so if you're going to do something so hard, I think what we're seeing is why not make that not only uh, challenging, but something that does good for the world and can be profitable. And so that's that seems to be a theme coming out of businesses um, and emerging from people graduating from school these days. And I think it's also a huge advantage now that there are impact investing sort of firms, right? Or, you know, there's global good funds, there's, you know, around the world, globally, domestically, there's more investors actually willing to put capital up for companies that have an impact, right? Which has never sort of really been the case. It's always been like, you know, VCs look at something, oh, well, this if this is not going to be, you know, a $500 million company, like, then why are we, you know, why are we doing it, right? I think it's it's refreshing to see all this capital come into the social entrepreneurship space because that's what historically has been needed and is still needed, frankly, right? I mean, right. I have people, entrepreneurs reach out to me all the time. They're thinking about raising and, and they don't necessarily know how to do it. And they don't want to get money from, to be frank, just the wrong person, right? Because that can absolutely just be more devastating than positive if you yes. if you have equity partners that are you know not aligned um or just they it, they just don't have the same sort of mentality or understand the social impact space which is a little bit rare to find so that's why it's really good to see global good fund i mean there's there's all kind of these sort of impact investing uh platforms out there now that 
few yes. social entrepreneurs can go to and it's great. Yes. And, you know, there are a lot of people talking about <laughs> impact investing and there are there are people moving money. But I think we have a long way to go in terms of supporting underrepresented communities, in terms of moving money to emer truly emerging social businesses that are frontline communities. You know, a lot of this is still a networking game. And Global Good Fund is not the only player in town, thankfully. There are a lot of other great social enterprises who are trying to support the little guys but, uh, and women. But it's I think there's a lot of interest and there's still a ton of work to be done getting the money and the resources and the human capital support into the hands of social entrepreneurs who might not have previously been considered, might have not been part of that privileged group to get access to money. And so I think um, there's still a ton of work to be done. And it's a wonderful thing that there's so much interest in this topic. What's the uh, application process like? Is it is it like a is it like a pitch deck, right? Is it is it the idea already needs to be uh, sort of validated in the market? Or is it it can it just be simply an idea in a pitch deck? And that can, you know, get you through to the global good fund or is it is there i guess i guess it could come in different ways right but is there sort of a a boilerplate application process of you know you have to be in a market for two years you have to have this revenue things like that so global good fund typically looks at social enterprises um, and leaders running them that are two to five years in and we typically look at entrepreneurs who are under 40. we break our own rules sometimes when there's an amazing exception but that's generally what we're looking for and we have a we have a filtered approach so the first thing we do we don't want to waste anyone's time and so we have 10 questions that we ask just to make sure that people fit what we're looking for um that can take you know 10 minutes just to fill out that application and then as you get farther along you know, we ask for answers to questions. We ask for video interviews. We ask for footage so that we can see, you know, we're trying to make sure this person has the hunger and the belly and the light in the eye to get through the challenges of being a social entrepreneur. Your grammar doesn't need to be perfect. Your pitch deck doesn't need to be perfect, but you have to have that fire that you're going to keep getting up when the world keeps pushing you down and you're going to be unreasonable in the face of these great challenges of our time. And so that's what we're evaluating for. And so we have a multi-staged approach um, that is trying to be respectful of people's time. Global Good Fund gets about 2,500 applications for 12 fellowship positions a year. Wow. And so it's, we're really looking for, you know, there are more entrepreneurs than we can possibly support every year. Um, and so we've created additional programs to be able to support some of those entrepreneurs. And that's why we've brought on partners to create tracks that are specific to environmental social entrepreneurship. We just launched this year a women's entrepreneurship program. So we're constantly looking for ways to support more social entrepreneurs, but it's a, a very selective process. And I guess the main message is that there's so many incredibly talented young people across the world who are using entrepreneurship for good. And if we can partner with more organizations to put, support more of these entrepreneurs, the world will be a better place. How many uh, alumni do you guys currently have now? So between our programs, we're looking at about 200 alumni all over the world. Wow. Is there, is there any in, uh, in Haiti at all? Where you, where, so you, <laughs> I yeah. know going to bring it back there for a second. Yes. Um, we did a special program um, where the funder actually identified the entrepreneurs for us to support, and we um, support them with mentoring and financial support um, through a group called Community Coalition for Haiti. And that was um, 
a really important project to be able to support local entrepreneurs. And we're, we're excited to be able to, to make a difference at the local level. Is there a certain part of the parts of the world that you see have really sort of been having innovative sort of entrepreneurs come out more than other parts of the world? Great ideas are happening all over the world, but the platform to bring those ideas to life is not evenly spread. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, In Africa, we're seeing an explosion of opportunity and talent. Um, So we get a lot of applications from Africa and it's, it's somewhat concentrated in different parts of Africa, but the continent at large has a lot of amazing social entrepreneurs and the potential in Africa is just enormous. Uh, We also get a lot of applications from uh, Asia and Latin America. And I think you're seeing that in developing countries and places in the world where there's stable political structures and a lot of young people that are, you know, sometimes the unemployment rates are high, you're seeing young people taking the world into their own hands and saying, I can't wait at the bus stop for someone to pick me up and deliver a job. I need to create my own opportunities. I'm going to do that in a way that helps other people. Uh, so that's been really inspiring to witness firsthand and to see that with all the education that is happening in these places, there aren't the, the economics aren't in favor of the past type of corporate jobs that might have existed. And so people are going out on their own and creating social enterprises. I know we touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, a few of them, but do you want to talk about a little bit, uh, a couple more, maybe of uh, the companies that have come through the fund that you know have been super inspirational that that you want to sort of touch on and give a little highlight to? Because I mean, there, I'm sure there's some. You already named a few incredible companies, but I'm sure there's there's dozens of more. Is there is there some that that really really stick out? Sure. So um, one that's top of mind right now is called Soap Pen, and uh, they exist to make hand-washing fun and colorful for kids. Um, so this is a company where the founder was born in New Delhi, India, and now lives in New York City. And he previously worked as a furniture designer and um, then created this pen with her co-founder that makes it fun for kids to color on their hands, and then uh, it turns into soap. And so that's <laughs> a great one, especially yeah. There's another uh, social enterprise locally to DC called Dog Tag Bakery, um, which exists to, it's a living business school basically for transitioning veterans and connects um, with service connected disabilities and military spouses and caregivers. And so it teaches leadership development training, nonprofit management, um, higher education. That's the entrepreneur's background. And then she's developed programs that help these military spouses and veterans themselves um, be stable, not go into homelessness and get job opportunities by having these skill sets that they learn at the bakery so that they can um, have a flourishing career thereafter. That's a pretty exciting one as well. That's, that's great. No, the, the hand washing one is is amazing. And I think anything to do with uh, with veterans has also been a sort of very sort of undervalued sector of of society. Really, um, I, it's really been bizarre that there's so many veterans that are unable to to get consistent jobs when when sort of they come out of of their service. It's uh it's pretty odd because they just have so many so many skills that it, it's weird that there's so many sort of unemployed veterans and then they sort of end up going back into into service because they can't find a, something they're passionate about in the you know in normal life. Yeah, we're finding veterans that have amazing passion and skill sets, and um, the transition from 
military life to civilian life is challenging. And uh, we have a great partner in Smithfield Foods that said, we want to take it upon ourselves to create opportunities for veterans to help themselves. And so sort of rather than giving a handout, let's give a hand up. And the military folks that we've been privileged to serve have completely run with that. And so they've created businesses from healthy condiment companies to companies that hire other veterans to companies that provide healthcare supply chain management. I mean, there it's all across the map. And these are companies that hire, they're run by veterans and they also hire veterans. And so it's been a real honor to serve the people who serve our country. Pretty amazing. So I'll, I'll end on, on this and it's, it's sort of a, a journey question as well. We started with that. We'll end with that is, you know, almost 10 years now, if you can, if you want to take a deep breath and believe yes. it, <laughs> I guess what, I guess what are some of the, some of the lessons learned, right? And what are some of the things that, you know, if you, if you were sitting in front of a class of, you know, 23 year olds about to graduate from a university or any type of, of college, what is sort of the message that you're giving them as they sort of embark on, hopefully their social entrepreneurship journey, what are some of the things that the high level things that you would tell them uh, not to do from the mistakes maybe you made, but some of also the the things that have really worked out and sort of the successful tips that you can give? Sure. So a few lessons I've learned along the way. I learned to speak when I have a seat at the table. When I originally was invited to meetings in a corporate environment, I kept quiet and I listened. And now I learned to make it a priority that I need to add value in meetings by speaking at least once when I'm invited. <laughs> I come to a meeting in the first place. I need to yeah. And so I remind other professionals, especially young women, that they're present for a reason and it's important to share your voices. Um, another lesson I learned is to invest in myself. Invest in yourself. I invest in myself. And don't expect anyone else to invest in you unless you first invest in yourself. And that can look like time. That can look like doing your homework. That can look like spending money on training for yourself. I think the other main takeaway I've had is that it's really important to invest in leaders that reflect the community. You know, the most practical innovations often stem from people who are on the front line, who understand firsthand their community's most pressing challenges and opportunities. And so investing in leaders that reflect the community not only makes business sense, but is the right thing to do. And then lastly, I'd share that there are moments where you're trying to create something out of nothing. And a lot of those times involve getting rejected. And the most important lesson I've learned there is to stand up and keep going. Um, but yeah, I mean, every single point you just mentioned is, is such, so spot on. I mean, I think it's, and being at, from pointing out from a woman's perspective, I think it's invaluable of what, of what you touched on. And it's, it's amazing to see um, the inspiring women, you know, just domestically doing incredible things. And I know there's, you know, internationally, there's just amazing women that face even, even more obstacles creating some amazing companies and, and ideas yes. and organizations. It's, uh, it's, um, it just, it's a massive, massive, massive benefit to have this escalation of, of female uh, entrepreneurs, especially in the social impact sector. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing point that you made. So I appreciate that. Uh, one, the last thing is how many, I promise this will be the last one. <laughs> what, uh, how, how much funding has been dispersed over, you know, the last nearly decade or so to to applicants that have come through the fund? We've raised about $10 million to date. And 
the vast majority of our budget goes to supporting entrepreneurs directly. And so um, whether it's through the program management of supporting the entrepreneurs with mentoring and coaching or providing impact measurement and accountability systems or providing direct um, funding, the vast majority of that money goes to entrepreneurs themselves. I think one of the main challenges for me as a leader of a nonprofit is it's really important for me to take care of my people. And that mm-hmm. means our team. Right. And there's fatigue for spending money on ourselves. And I think one of the lessons I've learned there is that if you can't, if you don't have a healthy team, you can't have a healthy community. And so right. um, we live by investing in ourselves so we can invest in other people. And so I'm pleased to say we run an organization that provides health benefits and retirement savings and fair salaries. But at the end of the day, we exist to fulfill a mission. And that's where the majority of our money goes. Amazing, Carrie. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, it's I'm fascinated about, obviously, social entrepreneurship, but also really fascinated with impact investing, because that to me is the catalyst of whether the movement succeeds or not, because we need traditional capital to be sort of more involved, so to speak, in yes. the sort of rise of of sort of business actually solving global issues at, at its sort of foundational level, rather than just solving problems in the business world. Like we need to, we could find ways to solve businesses in the in the human world right in the community and and things like that at a very base level if we can find a way to solve poverty education healthcare, these things will create even more and more users and consumers for (laughs) other businesses you know in that traditional realm and so i i'm glad to see more and more sort of investors realizing that the more people are um, lifted out of sort of poverty or are you know, educated at a high level, that is just such a benefit for, you know, the world economy, not, 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 you know, not even just the domestic economy, but international economy. That is the way that we solve every single issue that we have right now. And it's, uh, it's amazing to watch. It's amazing to see. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing in your team and the whole impact investing community. We need, we need more of that. So so I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's a it's a crazy time right now for everybody. So, <laughs> well, Grant, thank you so much for hosting me, and it's been such a pleasure to share about the Global Good Fund.